Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 102 of Impact Boom. My name's Amadeo Watson. I'm passionate about transforming business to good. Today we're speaking with Lucy Finlay. Lucy Finlay is the founding managing director of Social Enterprise Mark CIC, set up in 2010 and now internationally acclaimed. In recognition of the pioneering work of the company, Lucy won a Sustainability Champion Award in 2013 and more recently was named as one of the top 100 influential women in social enterprise on the WISE 100. Her primary motivation is ensuring that genuine social enterprises are recognised as a legitimate and different way of doing business to change society for the better. Eight years on from the launch of the mark, Lucy remains committed to continually adapting and developing robust and credible standards which support, strengthen and broaden the social enterprise sector as well as running a social enterprise. On today's podcast, we'll discuss Lucy's journey in founding the only international available social enterprise accreditation scheme and the lessons she has learned along the way. We'll get Lucy's valuable advice about overcoming challenges and insights into the social enterprise sector around the world. We'll also hear about the changing role of organisations today and those that exemplify the balance between people, planet and profit. Lucy, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much. Just to start off, could you please share a bit about your background and what led you down the path of social enterprise? Yes. Um, well, when I first graduated, there was no such thing or no such word as social enterprise. So um, all I knew is that I was very interested in helping people and that I was interested in my degree, which was originally in geography. And then I followed that with a town planning qualification. The town planning qualification concentrated on the built environment and I was more interested in people. So I came across in my research following my degree this concept of urban regeneration and doing that sustainably and social enterprise was a means to do that, although that wasn't what it was called at the time. So I went out and I interviewed a number of different regeneration schemes across the country and I came across this amazing scheme in a mining community in Wales, a place called Astalavera, where a lady called Judith was helping to regenerate the local ex-mining community by acquiring a number of shops with regeneration money which came from the government. Basically, the shop income was being used to regenerate um, other parts of the town, so it was subsidising the work that was going on to keep regenerating that small community. That's how I first came to social enterprise. 
uh, I then got a job working in that sort of area. So it was working in a community-based regeneration with a number of companies that do that kind of thing. So there's a very famous example in London on the South Bank where Coin Street Community Builders, it's called, where they have an iconic building called the Oxo Tower, which was the old building which Oxo used to own um, and used to be lit up apparently in the Blitz. Um, mm. It was the one bit of advertising that was allowed with the words OXO, they're still there. And that is a community building and the uh, they also developed um, sustainable housing people who wouldn't otherwise be able to afford to live in that area of London. So that was very a very interesting experience. And, and as I say, it wasn't called social enterprise then. It was called community-based regeneration. From there, I became very interested as the term social enterprise got coined in the way in which you can actually make a business model, essentially, fit with uh, being there primarily for social and environmental gain. So I went off and ran a company uh, now where I live, down in the southwest of the UK, to promote that region and the social enterprise agenda. And we received a number of grants from the government. We spent a lot of time raising the profile of social enterprise in the southwest to the UK government. But then a lot of that money disappeared under our current austerity. And uh, we set up a company which we felt there was a, a market for which was about identifying where social enterprise is actually creating social and environmental good. And we were inspired by Fair Trade to set up what we now know as the Social Enterprise Mark CIC. Well, wow, it's a fascinating story, especially how your personal journey is intertwined with the whole development of what now is Social Enterprise Mark. I'd love to hear a bit more about Social Enterprise, Mark. What do you define as the organisation's purpose and vision? And what are the primary benefits of the accreditation? Well, we're the only internationally available accreditation and we enable organisations to prove that they're businesses that create benefits both for people and planet. So because there's no a legal definition of social enterprise, although that has changed in some countries. Certainly in the UK, there's never been a legal definition of what a social enterprise is. So we had a number of social enterprises, in my experience, when we were first setting up who were quite frustrated about being able to uh, articulate why they were different from other types of companies. So on the one hand, you had the pure charitable model, which has a certain image about really being there for grants um, and being there for voluntary efforts and maybe being a little less professional. That's certainly the image that um, can be seen by not necessarily the general public, although that may be the case, but uh, certainly with government and quite often they expect if that sector is delivering to deliver at a lower cost base which is always a challenge when you're trying to generate income and then at the other end there was the uh, image of business which is primarily about generating 
profit for profit's sake and lining the pockets of shareholders. So what the social enterprises wanted was to be able to articulate how they were making a difference and how their operation as a business was doing that in a different way from either the charitable sector or at the other end from the traditional business model. And that's really how we came about. So the primary benefit of the accreditation is being able to prove those credentials. So being able to prove that any profit that you're making is primarily being reinvested back into society and the environment in whatever way that particular business is operating. Um, and that is quite different, I think, from any other accreditation that I have come across um, in that, you know, the primary motivation of that business is about people and planet, and they have to be able to prove that. And we over the years, we have reinforced that. So we now uh, look at all of our uh, accredited organisations and help them to articulate why they're different and how they're creating social value as a matter of part of the accreditation process. So if you look at our online directory, you'll be able to see exactly how each of our accredited businesses is making a difference. It sounds like quite a powerful thing for these businesses. Yes, Definitely. yes. And for, it, it's different for, for, for different levels of businesses. So for a smaller organisation that may not have the sorts of resources that a big social enterprise has, you know, there's a lot of publicity at the moment. I don't know whether it's the same um, in Australia, but this term social value and social impact is actually quite problematic because it costs potentially quite a lot for social enterprises to be able to measure or work out how to articulate social value. So the, um, the service that we offer is to be able to drill down into that, into quite some detail, but make the process much easier. So it's about asking the right questions and getting that business to think about how it is making a difference. And if you look at a number of small social enterprise websites, often you might see what it is initially that they sell on the front page, but the story of how they're making a difference isn't necessarily very evident. So by having the mark, they can use that uh, mark to help them Number one, to, you know, have a, a kind of a talk to say this is the type of business we are and we're accredited, but also this is the way that we make a difference. Fantastic. Could you maybe cover a few interesting projects that you're involved in at the moment? Yeah, well, we're in, we have the, the social enterprise mark it, it itself, which um, we've had since since we launched in 2010, but we have also developed something called the Social Enterprise Gold Mark, which is a, a level above the Social Enterprise Mark. So what I articulated to you just now is what everybody gets as part of the accreditation process, whatever type of accreditation they have from us. But uh, the level above the Social Enterprise Gold Mark drills down into quite a lot more detail. So it looks at things like 
how stakeholders are involved in the decision-making process in the organisation, what the ethics of that business are, and drills into even more detail about the uh, social and economic impact of that business. So quite excitingly, we have been working with a number of universities in the UK who feel that they, in fact, are social enterprises. So we we have 11 uh, universities that now hold the social enterprise mark. Um, and that's a very interesting development yeah. because that has led to lots of questions internally um, and externally within the university saying, Number one, how do we support young people and students in setting up their social enterprises, but also the students' unions themselves coming on board and thinking of themselves in terms of social enterprise? And how do we improve the experience of people that are coming into business, for example, so standardly? Students that come in to study business will be taught, you know, a very confined uh, version of what business is. These universities are actually questioning all of that and saying, well, a lot of uh, young people now are looking for something more than just generating a job which is going to give me loads of money at the end of it. They actually want to make a difference. So we've got a group of universities that come together regularly to challenge what they're doing um, and challenge each other, which is quite exciting. So we've got good engagement with the university sector. Mm. And another emerging piece of work that we are currently doing is working with the government in the sphere of disabled employment. So we have been working with our government's department for work and pensions to enable more social enterprises to take on disabled people in employment and to develop a mark, especially around that. Um, so that's all in gestation because Basically, the, the, the funding for that type of work is changing. So we're working with the uh, government to try and open out that pot of money to more social enterprises in the UK to enable them to employ disabled people, which is obviously beneficial to, to everybody because if you just look at you know uh, the workforce without the diversity aspect of it, you're missing out on knowledge and skills that you might have been able to engage in your business if you had been um, a little bit more broad in the way that you'd recruited. That's interesting because you did just mention something about the role that government is playing in, in helping facilitate this program around disability employment. I'm quite interested in the role, I guess, that you feel government can play in the development of social enterprise and facilitating the development of social enterprise. What do you think that looks like? Uh, I'll try not to be too cynical. <laughs> <laughs> when we when we first set up the social enterprise market was a number of administrations ago, um, and my experience of government is that they don't really understand business and they certainly don't understand social enterprise. So trying to work with them can sometimes be quite a challenge. And if you do work with government and they, even if they don't put any money in what you're doing, 
they try and change it because they always know better. Uh, so when Social Enterprise Mark was first set up, there was this idea, oh, yes, well, if we put some resources into this business, we can launch this thing. And it doesn't really matter about the accreditation particularly, um, but we just want loads and loads of social enterprises to apply, so it should be free. And we just like, well, how the hell are we going to make any money out of that? Mm. And they didn't have an answer to that. And because we were kind of at the behest of the government, because they were they were backing us at the time, we, we ended up having to go down that path. Although it wasn't free, it was we were charging a nominal fee. And then, of course, six, maybe even less than six months down the line, surprise, surprise, you know, the business model that they had reported, which was going to be thousands of people are going to start applying for this mark without any marketing or sales drive well you know this isn't going to work so we spent ages then changing the business model and that is the problem really governments may be interested in what you're doing but they don't understand the the basics of how you run a business and running cash flow and the sorts of tensions that are involved in running a business and they run very, very slowly as well. Decision-making is very slow, and then they go back, and then they change it. So ultimately, you know, you can make some steps with government, and I'm not denying that. And obviously, we're working with DWP at the minute, but you have to have an incredible amount of patience um, and to keep doggedly at it, if you like, saying, well, we make a small step. But it's a quite a big investment, I think that you have to put in as an organisation into working with governments because they won't necessarily pay you, but you have to see the further goal. And is there a business goal that is going to be achieved as well as obviously social value for social enterprises? So what is it that you are going to achieve and trying to see those little steps along the way in working with government because they work at a different speed they don't necessarily understand the tensions of running um, a small business so you know they always want your advice and I'll give it if I'm, I'm, I'm asked to but I could be on hundreds of committees but then what is it actually going to achieve for my business? So I think you need, really need to have a clear focus about what it is that you're going to achieve. Otherwise, you could spend an awful lot of time not necessarily achieving an awful lot for your vision around, you know, making a difference for social enterprises. So I would say working with government is, is okay, but you need to go in with your eyes open. Just then you've, alluded, I guess, to some tensions, you call them, in, in running businesses and social enterprise in particular. What are some of the biggest tensions or challenges you've seen social enterprises face and how do they navigate around them? Yeah, uh, I think the biggest tension is this issue about, you know, the balance between earning money and creating social value. And that there's no easy answer to that. And that's why it's probably a good idea to have some good mentors and some and a good board. If you're a small social enterprise, I'd say it should be a small board, not a great big board that you know needs to make decisions by committee, but a board that shares the same vision of the organisation. 
and that can help you to navigate that balance. Because as I say, at the beginning, what I've seen of social enterprises, certainly in startup, is that they might have a really great idea about how to change the world and all these different things that they're going to do. But if you don't understand of the money side of it, you're not going to be able to achieve anything. So you, you've almost got to get the money side of it right first before you can start to create the social value. So I think that is one of the hardest things in social enterprise. And obviously there are resources out there now through things like social investment. But my experience of social investment is it's like any other bank loan. You need to have a track record. They need to understand that there's credibility behind your business plan. So you need to have done some testing. You do need to have some resources behind you. And actually finding that initial resource to start yourself off can be quite a challenge. We were very lucky in that we uh, had an endowment from the company that I was running previously where we generated some income and we could transfer that money over to start the business. But a lot of social enterprises don't have that. Mm. So it's about, well, how are you going to gain the initial startup money as well in setting the social enterprise? And the other thing I think is that when you first set up, uh, you know, and if you get a big splash like we did, publicity-wise, it's about, well, where do you focus? And you can be pulled in so many different directions as a social enterprise. You know, people will want to talk to you and say, we could work in partnership on this and we could work in partnership on that. But again, you really need to keep your focus. Well, how is that going to achieve? Do these people have the capacity to be to be able to deliver? Do we have the capacity to be able to deliver? So it's it's always taking it back to the practicalities, really, of what your business can do and what they can't do. And being able to say no to what might seem like an excellent opportunity, but actually is going to take so much focus away from your business that you end up, you know, losing out or potentially losing the business because you've been pulled in another direction so it's like steering a ship i think (laughs) you know it's it's, as it as it sort of wobbles around keeping it on the straight and narrow and navigating the odd storm or whatever that that comes along Um, and bringing your team with you as well that's something that i've learned you know you need to keep articulating what it is that you are thinking you can't just assume that because you work with people they automatically know what you're thinking. You know, I constantly talk about where we're going and get buy-in from the staff and the board for the journey ahead. Fascinating. And Lucy, you've been involved in social enterprise, as you said, since pretty much the term was coined in, in the UK. What have you seen as the main changes since 2001 in the field of social enterprise? I think that the big driver in 2001 um, was the opportunity that presented itself with the government at the time because the government was quite interested in externalisation of public services. So pulling the government out of delivering directly to public services. And there were a number of models, GLL, which um, is a big leisure provider in London, Uh, which shows that actually it was possible 
to run a social enterprise business model in order to be able to generate a profit from a public service, but that profit obviously being used to uh, reinvest back into the to the organisation. So that was the big driver, and I think that has been a rocky road because that was one of the reasons why I think it became so popular and why government became so interested in it because it was in fact seen as an alternative way of delivery of public service. But I was always an advocate that it was much more than that. It wasn't just about delivering public services. And I think we are beginning to sort of come round to that, that it's not just about kind of externalising the public sector. It's about opportunities to fill gaps that the market can't provide in. So, you know, a traditional business will not go into an area that doesn't have a high enough profit margin where a social enterprise might on a lower margin or a cross-subsidy type of business model. So I think that there's been a bit of a shift, certainly in the UK, with there being a bit of a challenge about the externalization of public service agenda and saying that isn't the the holy grail if you like the the answer to public services isn't always to externalize that and we've seen that with a big movement from the public who are getting fed up with things like the fact that our trains aren't running because <laughs> they are now privatized and they're all broken up into different companies and one company doesn't talk to the other and one company blames the other and the same thing's happening in our health service so it's led to a very fractured type of delivery of service so there is a bit of a call now for those types of services to be called in so then where does that leave social enterprise in in its public service delivery and where it has been quite successful I think is where there's been um, innovative bits around the edges, the bits that, 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 that the public sector doesn't deliver, the added social value. So it's, it's, a, it's probably coming round to, to where it was originally about how social enterprises can actually fill the gaps that public services can't mm. deliver. You're talking about the different success that social enterprise can have in delivering those sorts of services. I'm, I'm fascinated and wondering... What other inspiring organisations or projects have you come across recently that exemplify the balance of planet, people and profit? I'll give an international example, if I may. The winner of our Social Value Award for last year, Partners for Possibility in South Africa. And what they're doing is actually working with big business personalities, if you like, um, so the people that are put up on to stand saying, you know, this is the big uh, business voice for X sector. And they're going to them and they're saying, we have this opportunity to work in a local school environment. And there's an issue in South Africa because local schools are often run by people that don't have the experience because they don't have enough head teachers. So those schools are having challenges around the management of the school and the skills that are there. So bringing those 
publicly known business people together with those head teachers to mentor them. And the experience of the head teachers has been amazing. You know, the outcome for the schools has been really good and, and, and working with the children has been really good. But what has been perhaps a, a bigger surprise, although it may not be a complete surprise, has been the impact that it's actually had on the business people. And the business people have said that they have gained so much more from working with these schools than they have done from, you know, going to Harvard or whatever business school. Um, And they've learned about making a difference. And then they've taken that back into their business environment to apply it to some of these big successful businesses in South Africa. So therefore you're seeing um, a win-win really for the, for the, the local schools in terms of the skills and management of that schools and the relationship with the pupils and how they make a difference, but also a change in the business environment as well within South Africa to make sure that they are then um, more cognizant about how they can make a difference themselves as a business. It's a fantastic example. Just to finish off, what are some great sources or pieces of content you recommend to our listeners? Uh, Well, you can always sign up to um, our newsletter. So if you uh, go onto our website, which is socialenterprise.org.uk, and I also do a regular blog on that website, But I think there's a number of Facebook groups that I find quite useful as well if people are thinking about setting up social enterprises. So there's one in particular that I like, which is Social Enterprise for Success. And on there, people are able to pose their problems. And the lady that runs it, Heidi, she has actually run a social enterprise herself. Um, and she runs one now. So it's all really, really practical experience. Uh, I can't recommend particular books, I don't think, to read about social enterprise. Because every time I start to read them, I kind of get a bit challenged about the positioning of the definitions um, around social enterprise. But I think there are some, you know, some really useful social media groups so starting to follow some of the leaders on twitter to get some thoughts thought leadership um as well so i would say use use social media really as a means to to generate uh, more ideas and if you're in australia obviously there's social traders out there we're meeting with them in september they have their own mark i don't know too much about it but um i'll, I'll be interested to find out about it when i meet them fantastic well lucy thank you very much for your generous insights and time no problem over there thank thanks you. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.